inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome to Outlook this morning. We're back with another home edition of the show. Recording this on October the 4th. I'm here by myself in my apartment in London, Ontario. And my sister, co-host Carrie, is zooming in from Woodstock. How are you doing today, Carrie? Not bad. Just hanging out here on a, well... Is it a Tuesday or a Monday or what is it? <laughs> Who can keep track of time these days? Yeah, it's a, it's a Tuesday that we're recording this. But this is airing, actually, if you're catching it for the first time, it's airing on Thanksgiving Monday here in Canada. So maybe there's a bunch of people at home today, and uh, maybe you're able to listen, uh, whereas regularly you might be working at 11 a.m. on a Monday. So glad to have you here, everyone listening to Outlook. We always appreciate it. And we also want to say and, and uh, recognize that this is the second show of Blindness Awareness Month, or as we like to call it on Outlook, Bam! Yes. <laughs> Gets people's attention. We need like a big gong, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's Blindness Awareness Month. And uh, also just wanted to quick say, so we, have, we do have a guest coming up today, which we're going to get to hear very quickly because there's so much to talk about. But it's another guest from British Columbia. And uh, it was funny, actually, when we came in last week and we had uh, some guests from BC last week as well, actually, again, thanks to... Alex and Jessica from the Canadian Organization of the Blind and Deafblind for coming on. But they're also from out west. And uh, station manager, when we came into the station was last week, was like, are all the cool blind people in BC? Where are all the Ontario people? And so we're, we're asking, come on, reach out, Ontario people. If you're, if you're blind and uh, want to be on the show, we'd love to know you're you out on, there. In all seriousness, we have had quite a few Ontario yeah. guests, but there is a lot going on in BC with, uh, with the blind people out there. So it is just awesome to see, you know, anything, anything around the world in any country, but especially in Canada here, it's just great to see. And so many things care that we haven't heard about just being in Ontario here, these organizations and all this stuff that goes on out West, sometimes you just don't hear about it. So it's really nice the past few years to be, you know, aware of all the stuff that's going on. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, our guest today is someone that I met when we did attend an event where, where we met a lot of the blind, communi blind community from the West Coast. And so, yeah, it was in Vancouver at the time, and it was at a, a conference or a convention for the Canadian Federation of the Blind, which is what sort of initially sparked this podcast, the show. Uh, and so it was a, a, one of the, the annual conferences they had there, and I was putting together a panel and somebody suggested I reach out to our guest today to be on that panel. And then I also ended up sitting beside uh, her at lunch, which was also nice. So yeah, our guest today is Sean Marcelet from Blind Beginnings. Hi, Sean. Thanks for coming on Outlook. Hi, thanks for having me. So yeah, you've done a lot of events, but you run Blind Beginnings. We do talk a lot about it, that Brian and I were born blind. I was born low vision. He was born with light perception. And we had a lot of great, you know, early years. We had camps we attended with other blind kids and we had each other. And we had our parents as well. Luckily, you know, again, we always, we talk about on this show quite a bit. Some people just don't have that support or parents, you know, 
want to always be there, of course, as much as they can. But some situations, just if you have to work or whatever, we were lucky to have a stay-at-home mom up until I was 12. So that helped a lot, too, to, to have that around. But, you know, everyone's situation is different. So it is amazing mm-hmm. to see this organization out, out west and the, all the things that you do for children and youth and, 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 and in those ages, age groups. So, Thank you. Yes, because it really does. I mean, uh, I think in a recent podcast that you do um, called the Limit- Limitless Podcast, you talked about it, how, you know, early, early life interventions do help. But um, for many people, they just go blind later in life. Uh, but for those of us who are born blind or, or go blind early in, our li- in life, you know, some of these foundational skills are necessary and social- socialization and uh, mentoring is an important one. And so, yeah, I, I'm going to uh, look forward to asking you all about that, Sean, because, yeah, that's, that's essential stuff that you do there. Um, but first, I want to talk about a bit of your background. You want to tell us and our listeners about your younger years and how blindness was for you earlier on in your life? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa when I was five. And I guess at that point, my parents were quite shocked. I had had a lazy eye when I was a baby and they they had prescribed glasses and said, you know, by the time she's in school, she probably won't need them anymore. The lazy eye will correct itself. So it was quite a shock to discover that I had this degenerative eye condition. And my family really didn't have a lot of support in those early years. There was there was no blind beginnings. So they did, they did go to the CNIB, but really met a bunch of older people, elderly people who had lost their vision, which was, they just didn't feel that that applied to them. So they kind of struggled through on their own. And uh, I didn't actually know until I was 12 that I had this eye condition. I had enough vision that I could kind of fumble my way through and, and maybe low enough vision that I couldn't tell that other people weren't fumbling as much as I was. So when I did find out, it was pretty shocking. Um, and I definitely went through my own adjustment, which took a couple decades, honestly. It wasn't so much adjusting to blindness, to not being able to see that was hard. I feel like, you know, it was my vision loss was gradual enough that I figured out how to do things as I needed to. Um, and I did eventually learn most of the blindness related skills that I needed to be independent and successful, but it was that emotional kind of internalized ableism, which I've only recently, probably since COVID really understood how much of that I have. So this belief that effect, like that blind people aren't as good as sighted people or that it's better to be sighted. Um, and when you grow up, as a child with a disability, you certainly sense that, I think, from most people, that it would be better if you could see. So it's hard not to internalize that and, and sort of have shame around it. So I kind of, through my teen and young adult years, I was that person who would not use a white cane, but carry it folded yeah. <laughs> just in case, right. or you know, not ask for help, not tell people that I couldn't see. Instead, I would just kind of try to figure it out myself. So if there's snacks on the table, I'm a big food person. I definitely enjoy food, highly motivated by it, but I wouldn't ask what's there. I wouldn't ask for somebody to help me and I didn't want to feel around for it in front of people. So I would just go without. So, you know, not join activities, not put myself out there, not initiate. And I'm a pretty outgoing extroverted person. 
so that was hard for me. And I, you know, looking back now, I feel like, oh, if I could do it all over again, <laughs> my adolescence would probably be very different. But that's really what inspired me to start Blind Beginnings because I really want this next generation to not feel less than. I want them to, you know, not be ashamed of their blindness and not feel like they're inferior. So, yeah, but I feel like I'm I'm verging away from your question. <laughs> no, you're you're not. You're you're touching on things that that are highly emotional for me because like we say, the spectrum of blindness, I was low vision and I mean maybe both of us Brian internalized some of that stuff, but for me it was different um and it's been different and I don't know Sean if your vision's been stable recently, um but you know, your story about RP is quite common. It's it's almost surprising though that that it, it was, some of it was noticed as young as it was, but often it is. And then parents sometimes make the decision and they don't know how to handle it in the moment, and they don't talk to their kids early enough. Uh, mm -hmm. So finding out at twelve, you know, more that's interesting. But all this internalized ableism you talk about is stuff I'm just examining with myself now, and it's mm -hmm. hard because people say, "Well, you've been blind all your life, Carrie. You should be fine now. You should be used to it." And I've my vision has declined over the years, and so. It, I'm still adjusting to that now, you know, in my thirties. And mm -hmm. so when you talk about how you want to give this next generation and the generations to come, you know, the tools that some of us didn't all, always have, it gets me emotional because I, I totally feel that. And I, I so commend what you do in that way, because that's why we do this show. Um, you know, we just want people to understand that. Yeah. But blind isn't, a worse state to be in than sighted. It's it's just another state to be in, another way mm -hmm. to live. And and children, um, you know, things do settle in them, and then they can show up in later life. So I I, I appreciate you sharing all that right off the top because uh, you know we'll get into some of what Blind Beginnings does. But you know you you say um, you know Blind Beginnings and, and lim Limitless is what she named your podcast. But it's limitless potential is all we see. Mm -hmm. for, your, for the children of Blind Beginnings and for all blind people and for everyone. We want that for everybody. And um, blind people have a unique experience that makes it hard in the world to feel less than. So thanks for sharing that stuff. No, with us. you're welcome. And I think, you know, it was limitless because, I mean, everybody has limits, but when you have a disability, people perceive a lot of limits for you. And, and I think I perceived limits for myself too when I was younger, like I just assumed because people kind of implied that I wouldn't be able to do certain things that I wouldn't be able to do them. And I hadn't even tried to do them. I hadn't even investigated. Is there somebody who's blind who's done that before? Or is there another way that that could be done? Maybe I can't do it the conventional way that everyone else does, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. And really when you start to think outside the box and explore that, you realize there, you don't have as many limits as the world thought you did. <laughs> so yeah, we really encourage kids to sort of figure out their own limits and, you know, everybody, everybody sighted or blind has limits. We all do whatever that is, whether they're emotional limits or whether they're physical limits. Right. But yeah, let's figure them out for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we talked, we talked last week on the show a lot about role models and how important it is to have, have a role model for any, everyone. But at the same point, Blind people, you know, over over the years have struggled with that because of the of what's covered and what's out there and just a lot of, you know, 
things not being people not being connected and networking and all of these things. Whereas, you know, organizations like Blind Beginnings get give kids a chance and, and teens and, and to, to see other people doing what they want to do who are also blind. And that that helps mm-hmm. so much. And I think it's also like you say, coming coming back to I feel like a lot of us as blind people were growing up. Maybe these days it's a bit better with technology, but I'm sure it's definitely still there where it was often like, what jobs can we do rather than yes, how can we yes. do these jobs? And that's that's the big difference, right? If, we, if it, It's so limiting when you say that. And of course, like limitless is, you know, it's it's not to be taken 100 percent. Of Literally. course, every, yeah, everyone has <laughs> limits. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we like to we like to explore on this show as well, is that, of course, it's great to say, oh, we can do anything that anyone else can do. But, you know, the reality is we have to also recognize that we can't necessarily, but we also should be open minded to to not, you know, just automatically assume that we can't do something instead of, you know, taking the time, especially if it's something we really want to do to figure out, you know, who else does this, who might have a disability and how do they do it? And that and in turn, how could I do it based on that? So, you know, that question of what can you do as a blind person? What kind of job can you do? I like to ask, what do you want to do? Right. And I, I think that gets taken out of the equation, right? It's like, OK, what are the possible jobs that blind people do? Well. I mean, the first person who decided they wanted to do a job was the first person <laughs> who was blind who decided to do that and they figured it out. And yes, it's going to be more work. And sometimes maybe it's not worth that much work, right? It depends how badly you want something. But I guess I feel like there's trailblazers everywhere. You know, the first blind person to climb Mount Everest. Do you think people told him he couldn't do that? I'm sure they did. So I don't know. I, I like, yes. Of course, we can't drive, we can, you know, there, we can't see for crying out loud. Like, of course, <laughs> there's a limit right there. But, you know, I can't drive, but I can still get from point A to point B. I just have to do it differently. Maybe I have to ask for a ride. Maybe I have to take public transit or Uber. Right. But I'm still going to get there. So, yeah. So what kind of things did you want to be when, when you grew up? Did you have did you ever like were you one of those kids who knew things you were interested in? And in, oh, I want to do this. Or were you someone who didn't really You just mm. explore things? I think it's funny. It's sort of like life before I knew and life after. So I had one of those books as a kid where you could glue your your um, class photo to the front. And then there was a pocket that you could put report cards in. And and underneath it said, like, what do I want to be when I grow up and how tall you are and how, you know, you could you could capture all of that. And I remember looking through that and I've had things like I want to be a ballet dancer. I want to be a teacher. Um, and then I guess once I knew I was going to be blind, honestly, I didn't, I was stuck in that. I don't know what I can be. I remember having conversations with my parents about that. Like, well, maybe you can be a court reporter because you can type really fast, or maybe you could be a piano teacher because you play the piano, or maybe you could be a counselor because you just have to listen. (laughs) Ironically, I am a counselor now, but (laughs) (laughs) And that was something in high school that I did want to do. But I wonder, did I want to do it because I thought it was possible or did I actually want to do it? You know, I really am curious. What would I be if I was sighted? If I could see fully, like, would I do something different? I I don't know. I love my job. I've I've developed a very rewarding career for myself. Um, I think I'm a bit of an entrepreneur and starting Blind Beginnings kind of gave me the opportunity to create something from nothing, which was kind of fun. So maybe I would own my own business or something. Um, I do get bored 
with routine. So, you know, a job that gives me a lot of variety is really important. And I want to help people and try to change the world. But that want to change the world, I don't know if I would have that if I was just a regular sighted person. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah, well, I love how you bring that up in the sense that, you know, what and, you know, I could wonder the same thing. And I do sometimes and I'm sure, Carrie, you do, too, about what would I what might might I be doing now if I could could see and I wasn't blind. But at the same point, mm -hmm. what I'm doing now, like, for example, this show, which has just been such a great experience for us the past four years, it's like I wouldn't be doing this if I if I could see like. So it, it does make you wonder, like, in a way you'd want to know, but at the same time, it's like, I appreciate what I do now. And if, if I wasn't blind, I probably wouldn't be doing that. So that would, wouldn't be great either. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's yeah. just a perspective yeah. and an outlook, you know, exactly in that sense. But no pun intended. Yeah, no pun exactly. Intended. Right. <laughs> um, but I thought we should just quickly mention here before we continue that, that you can find Blind Beginnings online, blindbeginnings.ca. And there's links to the Limitless podcast on the website there, of course. And also the event that we're promoting today, which is the Limitless Beauty Fashion Show, which is great that we can promote it here today on Outlook on October 10th because it's coming up on Sunday the 16th. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that uh, coming up here as well. But what about uh, when you started to, you know, learn more about blindness because you were, you were, you were in your teen years and, and all, all that? Did you have a lot of did you know other blind people or how did you start meeting them? What was your, you know, your youth like in that way? So, yeah, my vision teacher introduced me to um, a, a girl that was a year older than me with the same eye condition. And uh, that was my first introduction to another person my age. And it was awesome, like mind blowing, probably. Uh she lived in Victoria and I lived in Vancouver, so it wasn't very easy for us to connect regularly. I think we started writing, typing letters to each other <laughs> back in those days. Pen pals? There was no, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think when I was 13, I went to Camp Bowen, um, a summer camp put on by the CNIB at the time. And that changed my life like that. All of a sudden I was, you know, with like, I don't know, maybe 28 to 30 kids who were visually impaired or blind and blindness was something we didn't even really talk about because it was irrelevant because we all had that in common. And I, I had, I was popular for the first time. I had boyfriends for the first time. I was, I just felt like I was having that normal teen experience. Um, so every summer for one week, I would go to camp and I would look forward to that week all year long. It was really it was, it was, you know, at, at high school, I had a couple of friends, um, but I didn't get involved in activities. I didn't join clubs. I, I was involved in band and choir, I guess, but I just felt like I was just doing my time until it could be over. I really didn't feel like I was my authentic self. I was just working so hard to make sure nobody figured out that I had a visual impairment. So at camp, it was so nice to not have to worry about that. And yes, like connecting with other peers is so, so important. And also meeting other people that are a little bit older than you or a lot older than you who are blind to learn what you can be as you get older. Right. So, I mean, when I first found out, I'd never met anybody who was blind except my great grandmother mm -hmm. who had lost her vision later on in life. And she was really frail and, and elderly. And so that was like my only kind of view of what blindness could be. So slowly I started to meet different people who were blind, different 
people in different jobs, um, somebody who was a parent who was totally blind. And that blew my mind too. Like, oh, I can be a parent. <laughs> so I could get married. I could, you know, all these things. So yeah, I think that's introducing youth to blind role models and peers is like hugely important. Yeah. Because you are married and you did have a child. You are a mother. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. I mean, I get that too. And a lot of the sighted world thinks it would be dangerous for for a blind person to be a mother. And that's, mm. that's really terribly sad because there are so many out there and great mothers and great parents. Yeah. I, I mean, I had those fears too, right? Because if you, if you feel that from other people, of course you wonder it yourself. I didn't know, could I be a parent? How would I do this? And, but I babysat babies. I learned to change diapers. I like, I mean, of course you don't know until you're in it and it's not the same as babysitting being a parent. It's actually easier being a parent than it is babysitting because you know, that baby from day one. Right. And, you know, so, you know, exactly, you know, exactly how your house is set up, you know, exactly where everything is, you know, what the child needs from you and you just figure it out together. Yeah. Right. I mean, parenting is another topic on this show that we've talked a little bit about, but not as much as we'd like. And again, I think it is still that pretty common stereotype out there. And the fact that, you know, Carrie and I are, we're both in our thirties and neither of us have kids and neither of us are married. Sometimes we do feel like, oh, we fit this stereotype so well because our older, older brother and sister are both sighted and they're both married and both have kids. So it almost right. just seems like, you know, that's the typical thing. So it's so great to have you on um, as, as a blind parent and maybe just talk briefly about that experience. I mean, you already definitely touched on it there um, very, very well, but just did you have some pushback from people at the time when you were, you know, like how did, how was the experience mm -hmm. for you just, you know, overall? Honestly, it was fine, but I was so afraid that I would have have pushback. So I remember being worried in the hospital. I remember the public health nurse comes to check on you a couple times. I, I think for everyone, but I don't even know that. Like, was she coming to check on me because I was blind? Um, I had a doula. I paid, I paid out of pocket for a doula because I wanted to have an extra advocate in case things went sideways or there were any concerns. So it was definitely something I was afraid that I would be treated, I don't know, um, I, I just didn't know what to expect. I, I, I did worry that my blindness was going to factor in somewhere, right. and thankfully it didn't, but I, I did struggle in those early days. I think looking back now, maybe I had postpartum depression, but I wasn't going to tell anybody because I was worried that it would be, oh, you're blind, that's why you're struggling, that's why it's hard. So it, it definitely played a role. Um, and things like going to mom and baby groups was really hard. I did try a little bit. I did a mom and baby yoga class, but my baby was not cooperative in that. <laughs> he was not going to just lay on the mat while I did my yoga part. He was happy for his yoga part, but, and I went to a couple of things, but it was, you know, the other parents didn't, the other moms didn't really talk to me very much, but I also wasn't reaching out to them because I felt like I got to prove to everybody that I can do this by myself. So I wouldn't even ask, like, is there a chair or, you know, any of that? I didn't. So I feel like it's a mix of things. It's like that internalized ableism that I mentioned was definitely at play. This need to prove to everybody that I was smart and capable enough to have a baby, even despite my blindness was, was kind of playing a role there. And then just being a new mom is it's hard. Well, it's yeah. easier, thankfully. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And it, it's hard for every new parent. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, 
as soon as it's different for you, like we all need things from other people. We all are interdependent in a lot of ways, even when we try to be independent. Yes. And, but as soon as blind people or someone with disability needs help, then we start feeling like the burden. Yes, it's exactly. real shame. And yeah, I love that that this comes up because I think we mentioned that you have the Limitless podcast and actually a recent episode of the podcast was Let's Talk About Asking for Help. And I, I thought that episode was really interesting and informative and really discussed some important um, topics because it is that thing that we're, we're sometimes told like, oh, you know, we, we can prove ourselves by being as independent as possible. And, never, and of course, we want to be independent. Like everybody does, I think. But at the same time, part of life is depending on others and, and working together and having that, those connections. So it's, it's unfortunate that, that we sometimes do feel like a burden or that w when we're asking for help, when really everybody asks for help and everyone needs help from others. And that's, that's what makes the world thrive. And it's, it's so important, but it is a difficult thing. And, and, oh, uh, so difficult. And I think that you see a white cane and most people's perception is, of course, you're going to need help. So you spend your life fighting against that, right? I, I certainly did. It's like, no, 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 do not help me. I will do it myself. And like stubborn independence, like uh, like a chip on my shoulder. I've been, just been described as, as having, right? Because I'm not going to take help from anybody to the point where I probably offended people, but I was so afraid of the alternative of being this helpless burden. So yeah, it's, I'm, and it's funny because having a child was really good for me in that I was, I will miss out. I mentioned if there's snacks on the table, I'm not going to ask. But I'm not going to let my child miss out because of my pride. So having having my son kind of forced me to start asking for more help than I would have, right? When he started school, just going out in the community, getting on the, the SkyTrain together, it would be like, I'd have to say, is there an empty seat? Because he was too little to stand. <laughs> like, I can stand. I don't need to sit down. But he needs to. So it was good practice for me being with him that, you know, they've kind of forced me to start asking for help more. Well, that's true what you say that, of course, all parents want the best for their children and they will do things for them, even at the expense of themselves. That's what, you know, to be a parent, to put someone yeah. else's needs ahead of you, your own. And uh, so, of course, you want that for your child and you don't want them to miss out on things. So that that is a great uh, sort of revelation there that you that you share that that's what helped you get over some of the, the chips on your shoulder over the years. <laughs> yes. And uh, how old is your son now? He just turned nine. Wow. Yeah. So he's actually a very helpful age. I got to say now he can read and we can go on adventures together and it's not stressful at all. It's fun. He enjoys being in the lead. If we are going to the mall to pick out a gift for my husband or something, he, it, he loves those adventures and he's got to try to find the things, right? It's like a scavenger hunt, <laughs> but it's actually real life. Yeah. Make it fun. And, and, and people, I think probably think, Oh, your your son must be a great. They they assume that the the child does mm -hmm. have to look after the parents, so they'll say lines. I can't quite think right now how they'll word it, but how nice that he takes care of yeah, you. Yeah, like he can help yeah. you cross the street, or yeah, yeah. No, I mean he's been crossing the street with me since he was two, and I promise. Well, actually, younger, but walking <laughs> since he was two, right? right? And he was not telling me when we we should cross. <laughs> ever. So yeah, I'm still the parent. I'm still the boss. And he wouldn't be comfortable out in the world without me with him. He's not old enough to be going to the mall by himself. So that kind of puts things in perspective, right? We're helping each other. I love that interdependence. Like, yeah, he has a task or a role 
when we go out, he's actually from a very young age, learned to find a seat on the bus for us, but I'm still the boss and he likes to be helpful. Plus you can find seats on your own. You find other ways you do it when you're not with him. You don't exactly. You don't, yes. You, you don't take him out of school so that he can help you find <laughs> right. the bus. <laughs> He's not, at, yeah, it's just your full-time exactly. helper every day or something. No. Yeah. So for anyone who has been listening today, we're speaking with Sean Marcellet, founder of Blind Beginnings. You can find Blind Beginnings online, blindbeginnings.ca. Been covering so much today in the first half of the show, though we are going to get into a bit more about Blind Beginnings coming up here in the second half, as well as the Limitless Beauty Fashion Show, which is the big event that we're promoting on today's program. But we're going to take a quick break right now for some promos, and we'll be right back after this. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome back to Outlook this morning. Outlook on Radio Western, live on Radio Western, or as a podcast after the fact. Today we're speaking with Sean Marcellet of Blind Beginnings. And Sean is the founder, and you can go to blindbeginnings.ca to learn more about that. But in the second half here, we are going to talk about it and talk about the fashion show that's coming up with the organization. Thanks again, Sean, for being on Outlook. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we have had a great conversation here so far about parenthood and about, uh, you know, internalized ableism and a bunch of things. Asking for but help. But in a second, asking for mm -hmm. help. Um, but so you mentioned before the break that you are a counselor. Is that your, mm -hmm. is that what you? Yeah, well, interesting. So I, my, my first go at university, I got a psych degree and realized I was kind of qualified to do nothing specific. Uh, <laughs> and then when I started Blind Beginnings, I quit my job to start this nonprofit. I went back to school to get my master's in counseling as kind of a backup. So I thought, well, if the nonprofit doesn't work out, I will become a counselor. And so the nonprofit has worked out. I do provide counseling and facilitate support groups through Blind Beginnings but I also work in private practice part-time as a counselor. So, wow. yes. Yeah, I mean, I used to, as, when I was younger, think I wanted to be a psychologist or something like that. It's something um, so I, it I still think about, actually. It's an area right. I'm also kind of interested in. And as I get older here, too, I just feel like it might be an area, area I'd be interested in looking into in the future as well. But uh, yeah, yeah do it. It's never too late. Right. But that's so cool to hear that, that <laughs> that's what you do yeah. as a, mm -hmm. for work as well. So, yeah, we could have a whole episode on that, maybe. But, <laughs> yeah, uh... so much to talk about. Right? <laughs> First time on the show. I can come back. <laughs> yes. We'd love Please to. do yes, come absolutely. back sometime. <laughs> but maybe let us know then, how did you, you said you're entrepreneurial. How did the idea of Blind Beginnings come up? How did, how did it start out? So, well, I was working at CNIB as the coordinator of children's services for about five years and just wanted more. I felt like you know, childhood blindness is, is its own thing. I almost feel like it's a different disability from losing your vision later in life because yeah. there is all the, there's so much incidental learning that takes place. If you're sighted, you learn things by accident, just by observing, which obviously doesn't mean you can't learn if you're blind. Of course you can, but you have to be intentional. So it, it's just a different, it's a different perspective. And then on the positive side, you don't have the grief and loss to deal with. You're not mourning the loss of your sight. If you never had it to begin with, parents are certainly mourning, grieving, 
um, initially, and they need to, to process that, but kids don't know they're any different until they learn from everybody around them that they are. And then of course we all are going to process stuff as we understand how we fit into the world or don't fit in depending. Um, so yeah, I just felt like there needed to be an organization solely focused on children and youth and their families. Uh, I also thought there needed to be more support for families. Certainly in my family, my parents would have benefited from support. My sister would have benefited from her own support with my blindness. Like I just, there was so much that didn't happen that I wish had. So the inspiration or the idea was kind of based on what I was seeing with the people I was working with, but also what I didn't have, what I wished I had had and putting in pieces of what I did have that had worked. So that connecting people with each other and blind role models and, and things like that, that I had experienced, but also like community discovery outings where we can go and um, touch and feel and learn from, while having a fun experience or youth leadership pre-employment program where we're providing actual volunteer opportunities for youth so that they have something to put on the resume, but also so that they can gain confidence in their own abilities. So over the years, I've, there's been many, many different programs that we've tried and some, some have remained, some have kind of put, been put on the shelf, but everything is, is to sort of teach skills, teach confidence, normalize blindness and connect people with each other. Hmm. Yeah. And so in Blind Beginnings, you involve the rest of the family then it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. Which is important. Yeah. I think in the early years, it's more focused on parents, um, our parent support groups and parent workshops. Uh, we have an early beginnings program, but um, which is for the whole family, but obviously, you know, the kids probably aren't even, some of them, they're so young, they're not even going to remember coming to blind beginnings in those early years, but the parents will. Uh, and then, you know, as the kids get a bit older, then there's more programs specifically for the child that's visually impaired or blind. Um, but our summer camps, for example, are family camps, families can come, kids can come on their own once they're older, but it is for the whole family. And our community discovery program is for the whole family. And we want the siblings to come. We want the siblings to see other kids who are blind, to learn how to make experiences meaningful, to kind of build those relationships. And yeah, I think it's really important to have the whole family. It's just great to see how that, that uh, how things come about based on something doesn't exist. So I'm going to make it come to be like, I'm mm -hmm. going to bring it into the world. So. Yeah, I, I should say I was very naive. I had no idea how to start a nonprofit and literally had to Google, how do you start a nonprofit? Right. <laughs> but and I didn't realize the work involved in running a charity and raising funds and, you know, all the things. But I, I had passion, I had plenty of it and and this desire for this thing to exist. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> And through Blind Beginnings, but also on your own, you, you're you into athletic things. What kind of things do you do? I mean, you're not a ballet dancer, but I'm sure, you know, <laughs> I've heard you do certain things. Uh, I follow you on Facebook and things. Uh, what is it? Mar right. Marathons or mountain climbing? What do you, what have you gotten well, into? Well, it depends on, it depends on the, the year. Uh, so I was a Paralympic athlete. I did tandem cycling competitively in Athens and I played go. on the national goalball team. 
for a few years. Um, I was a competitive swimmer. That was sort of the first sport I did seriously, but I kind of, I, yeah, I love to be active. I run, I don't run marathons. I think that's just craziness. <laughs> I, <laughs> good for all the people who do, but wow, I'm 10 K is kind of my limit. And these days it's more like six. So, but I, I still enjoy cycling and I enjoy swimming. So someday I would like to do a triathlon. Um, I've done like a really mini, mini triathlon a long time ago before I had a child, but I also enjoy yoga. Um, I, I like playing tennis. So just any, whatever's happening. I also like to be social. So sports for me, you know, I want to exercise, but I also love to connect with people. So sometimes it's, I'm joining the activity as much just for the social connection as I am for the sport. So, yeah, I'm so great that you talk about the the sports and athletics, because again, I think um, tying into the beauty fashion show that we'll talk about here. I think, again, it it kind of is an assumption out there sometimes that blind people wouldn't be into sports or playing sports. Um, I guess for Carrie and I, neither of us have been the biggest athletic kind of people me for, for me it's music instead of sports which is you know sort of the common stereotype for blind people but yeah in the same way right. it did it did provide the um the social opportunities for me growing up that's how I definitely made my group of friends was connecting with other musicians who were sighted but you know that that really brought us together and and, and it sounds like for you sports can do the same thing but I think it is great to to talk about that on this show more and more because it does make people realize that you know pe- blind people can do do anything that other people do generally so it is just great to show mm-hmm. that uh, these activities are happening. And yeah, I'm ten- tennis. I, I'm that's something I knew nothing about that blind people play tennis. I know it was shocking to me too. That's definitely a sport I never thought I would play. I remember horror horrible memories of trying to play badminton in high school PE, which was awful. So <laughs> those were the times <laughs> where I just they had like the badminton club or something. I would just sit on the on the chair on the side or whatever and be like I don't I know what score I don't know what they're doing yeah. kind of thing here but well there are certain sports where you become the designated server but that doesn't really work in badminton <laughs> <laughs> so maybe volleyball but uh yeah so tennis the ball is made of foam but it's got like a rattle inside so it's really soft if it hits you which is lovely but it also is quite loud And if you're blind, the blinder you are, the more blind you are, the more bounces the ball can do before you have to hit it back. So if you're B3, I think it, uh, if you have 10% vision, I think it bounces once and you have to hit it back. If you're a B2 twice, and I think I might even get three bounces now with the level of vision I have. Um, So it gives you more chance to track it, find it, and then hit it back. I'm terrible. I'm not very good. It's very rare that I can hit the ball back, but once in a while I do, and it's very satisfying. So it's a good workout. (laughs) Exactly. You you know, you you said you've been a Paralympian, so it's like find the sports that you like to do, and some need to be adapted, and that's okay. Um, Mm. But but it's great that you do that stuff, and uh, I'm you know I know that there are certain opportunities you guys provide with Blind Beginnings that because sports can teach children confidence for sure. So I see yeah. that you, you do provide some things like that to show other kids through blind beginnings that that's possible for them if that's what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the the fashion show kind of came to be because of uh, five years ago, we did do the grind blind. So in Vancouver, there's a, a mountain, Grouse Mountain, and you can hike up the mountain. It's called the Grouse Grind because it is a grind. It takes an average person about an hour and a half, like an average, typical, able-bodied person. Uh, And it's really hard. It's like 
it's there's some man-made wooden stairs built in, but a lot of it is just sort of roots and rocks and steps kind of formed from the natural mountainside. Right. Some rough so, terrain there. Very rough terrain. Yeah. So we had nine blind youth and myself and everybody had a guide and we did the gross grind and their accessible media made a documentary of it. So that was five years ago. And the board of blind beginnings was doing some strategic planning last year. And we were talking about how we need another event like do the grind blind. We called it like a go big event that captured media attention and, you know, kind of raised awareness and, and challenged people's perceptions of blindness. So we got together to brainstorm some ideas of what we could do. And I just assumed we would do another sport type thing, right? <laughs> I was like, we'll physically challenge the youth. Uh, but somebody suggested, what about a fashion show where the models are blind? And everybody really loved that idea because it's kind of, it's challenging perceptions in a totally different area. So yeah, we're, we're I, veering away. I tied but, the, yeah. I tied the sports to fashion in the same way because yeah, like I think it's so great that the blind beginnings does offer these, these programs for athleticism, because that's one of the areas that as a blind child, I found for sure in my situation, I kind of, part of it that I wasn't interested, but the other part being that it just wasn't offered as much growing up and being integrated into the uh, public school. But I think, you know, mm -hmm. sort of the stereotypes about blind people not maybe being into sports or playing sports are this are there's also stereotypes about blind people with fashion about, you know, if you can't see, why would you why do you care what anyone looks like or how you look or how you present yourself when really, you know, fashion yes. isn't just that. So I think this limitless beauty fashion show is such a cool idea just to let listeners know it's happening October the 16th in Vancouver and uh yeah we'll definitely get talking about that now with the final 20 minutes or so of today's program what would you say your style is if you could did you struggle to figure it out <laughs> you know what it is oh, I am laughing because I am so not oh my gosh I'm so out of my depth with this fashion show it's hilarious <laughs> okay I mean I do care how I look a lot um but I I just want to look like everyone else. And that's that's like from being a teenager, right? Like I just want to fit in. I, I don't want to stand out. I don't need to be the person with the crazy style. I so I think I'm yeah, I, I go, I have a couple of people that I go shopping with and they sort of know me and what I typically wear. But yeah, like jeans and a sweater is probably my favorite thing to wear. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not fancy, right? I just like, I just want to like dispel that myth right now. <laughs> There's a reason I am not modeling in this show. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot. So we did a fashion training camp this summer to prepare the models. We have nine youth who are participating and brought them together for three days and talked about like, how do you develop your style if you're blind and you can't see? How do you know what's in style? What are the different kind of styles like we literally passed around different kinds of shoes and they could feel like what's a, what is a sling back what is a wedge heel what it like what are all these things if no one's ever taught you how would you know uh and then we went to the mall and everybody was paired up with a sighted volunteer who is fashionable to help them choose and try things on and find out what looks good on you what colors look good on you what styles feel good on you and then are there pieces like texture and, you know, I can't stand velvet 
or velour. If you rub it the wrong way, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. That's always always felt that way. So I'm never going to want to wear something that's velvet, right? (laughs) Just uh, so, yeah. What do you like? What do you not like? What feels good? And they each picked an outfit. And then when we came back, we we passed them around and everybody got to feel what everyone's going to be wearing in the show. Of course, the actual fashion show will be described. So if you're blind and you're watching the show, you're there, you'll be able to hear the descriptions of the outfits. And then we're also going to have some mannequins around the room with some outfits on the mannequins that you can touch. So we want this to be accessible, of course, and, and kind of model how to make a very visual event accessible to somebody who's blind. Um, but yeah, so I, <laughs> it's funny. I, what I learned through the training camp about fashion is that it really is up to you. Anything goes, you just got to own it. And it's so funny because, you know, my whole life I've just been like, oh, like, would other people be wearing this? If not, I'm not going to wear it and worried about, is this still in style? I've had these jeans for 10 years. Can I still wear them or all of those things? And really what I learned by watching the youth was like, figure out what you like and rock it like own it just like it's okay everything goes but i think when you're blind you have this or at least i i feel like if i'm wearing something crazy out there people aren't going to think it's because i'm fashionable they're going to think <laughs> it's cuz i don't know any better or i don't realize <laughs> so that's kind of been my fear but i think i need to try to let go of that a little bit hmm. yeah i mean i've struggled with fashion as i say the the more side i have started losing from when I was younger. I used to see colors. I used to love color. And now texture is just a really big thing. And I still, you know, I miss colors sometimes and I still grieve that. But texture, even when I was a child, I I, I couldn't wear, you know, leotard, pantyhose, anything on my legs that was so tight. Uh, right. And uh, yeah, I know what you mean about, you know, you know what textures you like. Shopping can be tricky. I'm not sure how you sort of go about it. But for me, it's like, at least I know what I don't like and what mm-hmm. I, some things that I do. And then I still appreciate some guidance and from somebody I trust preferably, um, yes, but it's, it's, it, they don't pick things and just, I just go along with it. Um, I don't know how you handle shopping and things for yourself. I do a bit of both. So I'll be feeling the racks to, and I'll pull things out and say, what color is this? And it always seems to be that it's like lime green or fluorescent orange or something <laughs> that I wouldn't wear, but, <laughs> and then whoever I'm with is also pulling things out and, and it describing it to me and letting me feel it. And, and, you know, usually I'll be like, yeah, I'll try that on. If you think it'll look good on me, I'll try it on. But at the end of the day, if I, if it doesn't feel good, I'm not going to, purchase it. So I do want feedback from people I trust. And I always like, I've never walked into a store and just asked for the person working there to help me. I feel like they want to make a sale. Like, I don't know that I would trust, you know, they're going to say everything looks great. So you got to pick your people for sure. That's kind of how I feel about it. And uh, for sure, I'm not, I, you know, I'm, if something doesn't feel comfortable, I'm not going to wear it unless I have a really necessary reason to wear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if a friend is getting married and there's bridesmaids dresses they really want us to wear, I'll, you know, I'll make yeah. it work. But but yeah. I, as for something like heels, I mean, I've worn them in the past and sometimes I find a pair I feel good in, but I don't regularly wear them and I don't mm-hmm. need to for, you know, what I do in my life. Whereas some people, there's pressures in certain jobs to look a certain way. And I don't know with your um, counseling yes. and the work you do, if, you know, you want to look professional, you do want to look put together and 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I've sprained my ankle and broken my foot multiple times. So I'm really nervous now wearing heels and I walk to the SkyTrain. I take transit. And even that is so funny. Like people will wear running shoes for the commute and then change into the heels when they get there. But I still have this, like, if I'm wearing running shoes with a dress or something, everyone's going to think it's because <laughs> I'm blind and I can't wear the heels. So like this, I'm telling you, I got some work to do still. I, I might be leading the ship here, but I, <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm over it all myself. So I, I tend to try to choose something in between. I'm not wearing heels very often. And if I do, they're a lower heel. Um, but, you know, I'll try to find like a dressier, flatter shoe. So kind of find something in between that I can walk in and that looks okay. Yeah, not those scary stilettos with a really tiny, oh gosh, no tiny way. heel. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> and it's important as as the founder and and being you know at the head of Blind Beginnings for all these all this time that you do um, demonstrate to the youth that are involved that nobody has it all figured out. I somebody mm -hmm. recently made a revelation that was so earth shattering. It's like kids when you're young you think adults know it all and they've got it all worked out and and adults we don't we don't know anything more than anyone else. That's often. yeah, We're so true. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think it's actually good for kids to realize that because when they, when they become an adult and they don't have it all figured out, they're going to think there's something wrong with them if they've never seen that adults are still working things out. Right. Life is a process. And yeah, I feel like we're on a journey and we're, we're going to be learning right, right to the end, most likely. Yeah. And with social media, it's, it's a lot of projection of perfection and that's not how anybody's life is, whether you're a child or an adult or you're mm -hmm. disabled or you're not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this Limitless Beauty Fashion Show is coming up on Sunday, October the 16th in Vancouver. And I believe there are still tickets available. Is that, is that right? For anyone yeah, who is in that area are. who might be listening to this as a podcast, I don't know if anyone from Ontario is going to be able to travel out to BC to go, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Within the next five days. Right, yeah. I, I, would, I would totally do it if I, it wasn't... It's, it's a busy month in, in, over here, but I, you know, I, wish, I wish I was closer. I would love to be yeah, a part of I, it. I also heard, um, I don't believe the, the event's virtual at all for people to listen in, but I do know that you said um, it's being described, which obviously is a very important thing. And you know, for everyone there, mm -hmm. even the sighted, sighted people who might be there, it's great for them to get that experience of having something described to get a feel for what, what that's like and how maybe they could do that in future. But it's also, it's getting described by descriptive video works. And that's just a little actual, actual tease for our listeners about next week's show, because we're going to be talking with somebody from uh, descriptive video works. But it's just so great that you have uh, them involved in this, this event as well. Oh, they have been an amazing support to Blind Beginnings over the years. They've done description of different videos that we've produced. Um, you know, they've supported us in so many ways, and I'm really excited. Actually, the founder of Descriptive Video Works is on the planning committee for the fashion show. So she's been a huge help to us, um, connecting us with Oh, the MC for our gala every year, who's also emceeing this event. And yeah, obviously the person who's going to describe it all um, will be showing a little video. So there is a documentary being made, of course there is, of this whole fashion show. Um, Accessible Media is producing something. So they came to our training camp and they filmed there and they'll be filming on the day. And that'll be released in 2023 sometime. 
Um, I think we're also going to be filming it for our own keepsake, just the show itself. So who knows? Maybe that will be out there somewhere virtually at some point. Right. So people may be able to access it eventually if they can't be there in person. And uh, just one other quick thing I wanted to bring up on the show, because we've had actually um, her on as a guest, is Alexa Jovanovic. And I think she spoke to the camp in the summer or was connected uh, through this fashion show as well, because she's somebody who has started a a company to design Braille um, in in fashion. And it's such an important, uh, amazing business that she has. So. So I don't know if you've seen her blue dress, but we will be featuring it in the fashion show. I'm so excited to see it. I I think it'll arrive on Friday. She's made this amazing dress that has, I can't remember how much Braille. So she uses beads to spell, like to spell words, but you wouldn't, you know, if you don't, it just looks like a design and it's all over the dress. It's a long dress. So it's, there's going to be quite a lot of Braille on it. And I think all of the Braille says, words that that describe blue the color blue so whether it's feelings or different kinds of blue or i don't know i don't know that much about it but the way she talked about it it was very cool so one of the models will be wearing the blue dress oh my design yes i i i don't know if 100 percent. i haven't like confirmed with her recently but i did take the survey at the time uh, because like i say i used to see blue uh mm. and now as a writer i love to describe color and how it makes how you feel and i love braille so I think um, maybe some of my ideas may be incorporated in the, that dress. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome that that's being featured. Of course, that obviously uh, I should have thought that already. Yeah, I didn't see that. But mm-hmm. that's that's awesome to think of the mm-hmm. kind of fashions that are going to be featured and the way you can promote each other and share in, you know, this kind of inclusive design and and making people feel, you know, the confidence is such an important thing to feel just good about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Two Blind Brothers is another clothing company that is providing clothing to some of the models. So we'll have some of their clothes as well. And they incorporate Braille too. So awesome. Excited to check those out. Those those were harder because we can't, we won't see them or feel them until right up to the (laughs) date almost. But um, we're excited to see what we get. And I see one of the sponsors of the fashion show is Canadian Assistive Technology. Um, That's right. Yeah, really grateful to them for yeah. supporting the event. We we have had some of those, you know, we've had the AT banter guys on Outlook. Um, oh, yeah. cool. We know you've been well, on their show as well, so. I have and and Rob Minot is works for Blind Beginnings as our communications coordinator. So, I feel like they're like extended family, <laughs> the Canadian assistive technology guys, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say it's funny that sometimes they think Oh, you, you're blind, then you must know another blind person. And we say, you know, <laughs> we don't know all the blind people in the world. But yet, once you do meet each other, you do see, you know, it's great in Canada, for, for example, that it is a small world in a lot of ways. And we we do all kind of meet each other and c- connect in these ways. And that's for sure. It's fun. Yeah. So yes. uh, we're coming to the end of the show here today. It's really flown by as it always does. Sean Marcelet has been on the program today, founder of Blind Beginnings out in British Columbia. You can learn more. Go to blindbeginnings.ca. Also has the Limitless podcast, Limitless blog, so much stuff out there, and the Limitless Beauty fashion show coming up Sunday, October the 16th. And yeah, this has just been such a great uh, conversation today and so much to talk about. And thanks again so much for coming on the show today, Sean. Thanks for having me. It's been super great talking to you guys. Good luck with the show. Thank you.
send us an email. Outlook on RadioWestern at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western. <laughs>